Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm so happy you came back. So today I'm so excited to have one of my dearest friends here with me. So Julie Henricus, who you might know by multiple other names that she has, she writes as Julia Henry, as Julianne Holmes. You might know her under JH Authors, or you might just know her as the executive director of Sisters in Crime, which we talk about on this episode, but it's an amazing organization for mystery writers, men and women, not just women. Um, but really, Julie does it all, and she does it all so gracefully and so kindly and compassionately, and she leads with so much heart, and she's just lovely. Um I've been wanting to get her on the show to talk about, we have so many things to talk about. We're on the Wicked Authors together, the Wicked Authors blog. We've known each other for 10, 11 years now. Um, we've become, you know, true partners and friends in this writing journey. And I just couldn't imagine life without her. And so I hope you guys really enjoy our conversation. We talk about a lot of things in this episode. We talk about the blog. We talk about Sisters in Crime. We talk about writing process and also writing from the heart and how to keep writing even when this business gets hard and how to support each other and how to use your mind to help yourself get farther. And she just has so much wisdom to share. And she's, like I said, she's just lovely. So I'm not going to even read a bio. She she does so many things. I I already went through all the things she does today. Um, She's had a long career in theater as well. Um, She was an executive director of Stage Source before she came over to Sisters in Crime. So she's got a really interesting perspective on writing from a theater lens. So that's also a fun part of our conversation. Um, But if you don't know Julie, 
you're going to get to know her today. I hope you're going to love her. I hope you're going to love our conversation. And so without further ado, here's Julie Henricus. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I've been waiting for this one. I've been dying to get you on. (laughs) So for anyone who might not know you, tell us about who you are, what you write, what else you do, all of the things. All of the things, huh? Well, um, right now, my day job is I am the executive director of Sisters in Crime, which is an organization that supports uh, crime writers. Um, it's a wonderful organization. It was founded in 1986. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I've been a member for many years. I was on the board for a few years. And two years ago, I became the executive director. So it's sort of a great culmination of my life experience because um, prior to that, I had spent over 30 years close to 40 at this point, uh, working in arts administration, mostly in performing arts. Um, So always behind the scenes, but as a general manager, company manager, I did marketing, did all kinds of things. I I programmed a concert hall at Harvard University, you know, all sorts of things. I've had a really interesting career. Um, But I'm also a writer, and I have been for a very long time. It took me a long time to get published. Um, but 10 years, no, eight years ago now, I was, my first book was published um, as, under the name of Julianne Holmes. Uh, and then I've also published as J.A. Henricus and I've published as Julia Henry most recently. Um, I write traditional and cozy series. Um, the J.A. Henricus books are more traditional. Julia Henry and Julianne Holmes are cozy. Um, so, you know, my current job is sort of a wonderful combination of my arts admin work and my love for writing and understanding of that that role. So uh, I'm, I'm a very blessed person. I still teach arts administration classes, uh, mostly to theater students, which is great. You know, I find um, that a lot of artists don't understand the business side of their art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for a while I had a company and I coached people on business practices um, and, you know, may do that again at some day, you know, as I look at retirement. But um, it's empowering for artists to understand the business. And too often they shy away from that, you know, oh, I'm just an actor, I'm just a writer and I don't want to do the marketing or I don't want to understand contracts or how how theaters make money, you know, and you need to understand that if you're going to navigate through um, and and uh, it, it, certainly if you're going to try and make a living at it. But even if you're you're just going to try and, you know, make this a, a, a part of your life, it may not be your primary source of income, uh, you know, understand what the options are and what you can do and empower yourself so that you can set your expectations and work that way. So that's a very long-winded way of saying um, I'm pretty passionate about the business side um, of for artists of understanding what it's all about. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love that you do that because, I mean, you know, it says the girl who still has trouble reading her royalty statements. But, you know, I wish I had paid a little more attention or just, you know, known more back when I first started, right, about the, that piece of it to kind of make better decisions. Well, Liz, first of all, 
Royalty statements are not meant <laughs> to be read and understood. We we have a mutual friend who reads hers with yes. a fine line and catches mistakes. Mine, I I, you know, I look at it and I try to make sense of it. And the publishing business um, is traditional publishing business is just unbelievably complicated. I mean, you get paid basically a year, you know, after. You know, you might get a check in November for royalties from the first half of the year, you know, for from December through May or something. I mean, it is just so backwards. Um, so it is hard to understand that. Uh, but I do think things like, uh, you know, profit and loss statements. If you're going to be a writer, you need to make some investments uh, into into being a writer, you know, whether it's buying a domain name or in a blog or having a, an email um, client or, or things like that that could be modest investments, but you're still going to make an investment. And, and the thing is, I always encourage folks to make active decisions. Don't be passive about it. Say, you know, and, and again, easier to, I find it easier to help other people with this than to do it myself. I'm not always great about, you know, promoting myself. I'm really good at helping people figure out how to promote themselves. But, you know, building up an email list and a website, don't wait until you're, you've got a publishing contract to do that. Start now. And, and don't worry about it. I, I used to be so worried. Well, what happens if somebody looks for me and they can't, you know, it's like, don't worry about it. If people are looking for you, they'll find a presence. If you've got a newsletter, they'll sign up take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So we have so much in common. That's why I really want to have this conversation. So we have a lot in common in our little group, the wickets, which we'll talk about later. Cause I want to talk all about community and writing, but you and I are the ones t- traditionally within the group that are always working a million jobs and trying to write and, you know, again, <laughs> do all the things. So when you started writing, tell me about how you, you got there. Like you were, you were working in theater at the time. Like what was your path to, to getting to your first published book? Well, it's interesting because I think I'd always wanted to write, but I took a creative writing course in college. I I have a degree in mass communications, my undergraduate degree. Uh, and I took a, uh, a creative writing course with a very earnest, um, now I understand graduate student, but then I was a student there. And, uh, you know, I would write funny poems or I would write, yes, you know, and she, she would, would, didn't like my work because she didn't feel like I took it seriously. Mm. And so that shut me down. You know, it's like, oh, maybe this isn't meant for me. And then, um, as I said, I always loved helping artists uh, in theater do their work, but I was never an actor. And so you find a creative, you want a creative outlet. So I started to take um, Grub Street here in Boston, had some courses, and I took a, a short short fiction you know, course for like 10 weeks because I thought, okay, I, I love learning. And I thought, let me, let me see what I can do. And I was just writing the most boring stories and books. I mean, it was just boring. And so one of my classmates, it was like a 12 week course came to me, um, 
uh, after one of the classes and she said, you know, on breaks, cause she and I would always bring our dinner. We'd come in after work. At that point I was working in advertising and, um, and we would talk about things. And she said, you're always, we're always talking about mysteries. You know, you're reading Elizabeth George and you're doing this and you're doing that, but your, your stories aren't, aren't mysteries. Why aren't you writing mysteries? And it was like a flashbulb went off and I thought, oh, so I um, dropped a body in the story and it, it picked up and it was much better. And so I started to pursue that. But then I took another course um, with another earnest literary fiction writer, leader, and he shut me down. He didn't like genre and, you know, just pulled my stuff apart. And fortunately, there was a science fiction writer in the same workshop. So he and I would go out afterwards and, you know, bolster each other. Um, but all that to say, you, you know, when people don't give you great advice or they don't support you, it's really hard, but you have to separate it. There's some criticism that's useful and, and you need to listen to, but there's others that just doesn't come from a healthy place. And that, that got in my way for a long time. Um, the other thing that got in my way is I kept working on the same book for a long time and I would pitch it a crime baker. I would do different things. And I felt like it had legs. I was happy with it. Um, but I would get very nice rejections from agents, from other people. So I kept working on it. And, and that was helpful in some ways because I realized, uh, you know, I wrote it, which was you have to write a book to learn how to write a book. Um, and I got rid of the first hundred pages <laughs> because I, it was all backstory and I didn't understand inciting incidents and all that kind of stuff that I understand now. Um, but I should have put it aside and start working on the second book. I spent way too long on the first book. So when I talk to writers now, I you know that's always my advice is you can go back and fix that first book, but you, you've got to write another book yeah. <laughs> in order to build the craft. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, am, I am with the wickets. You and I are, um, both, you know, blog with four other fabulous people. And uh, one of them, I, I was the only wicked without a book contract when we started. And one of them uh, got a call from her agent, who became my agent as well. And there was a uh, opportunity to write a book for hire for Berkeley. So what that means uh, for folks, many of your listeners, because you talk about things, might understand, but I didn't know that this existed, um, is that sometimes in-house editors will come up with an idea and a, and a, you know, a pretty strong story Bible for at least the first book in a series. And then they want to hire a writer to write the book. And in this case, three books and the writer gets royalties, um, doesn't own the characters. It doesn't own the name. So, um, you know, our friend called me and talked to her agent and said, you know how, Julie, you know how to write a book. You've done it. <laughs> um, and I think that this could be a really interesting opportunity for you. So I talked it over with a couple of people and I jumped on it. And so I still had to audition. I had to write a proposal and, and um, the agent became my agent and helped me, helped me work on that. Um, but that was my first published book. And that was um, Just Killing Time by Julianne Holmes. So, you know, I, I figured out another way in. 
mm-hmm. and had that first publication, which was thrilling. I picked Julianne Holmes for a variety of, of reasons, but I, I, as I said, you can't own the name. So, you, you know, um, my mother was going to name me Julianne Holmes Henricus, and then my grandmother told her it was too long. So I was the first grandchild and the first baby. So Julianne, which is so boring, but, you know, very 60s name. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I wrote, you know, the Clock Shop series, which I adored writing. Um, and then my editor left Berkeley, so it was orphaned, and, and it wasn't picked up beyond that. But I'm, I'll be forever grateful um, for that series and for the care and the attention. Um, and then, you know, when I first got published, it was eight, eight years ago, I think, like 2015. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my agent said... Uh, you know, we got you published. Now we have to keep you published. And I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. Um, but since then, I've, you know, as I said earlier, had three series and written under three names and had 10 books published. Um, so, you know, it's been a it's been a journey um, and it's a continuing journey. As you know, yeah. it's you don't rest. And, and just cause you get one place doesn't mean you stay there. <laughs> Backsliding <laughs> is part of the business. So it's so funny. <laughs> that was a question I had for you for later about like, how do you keep, we'll talk about that later, but yeah, it's like sometimes people think like, Oh, I just got to get published and then all will be well. Yeah. Right. And it's just not that way. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, for some people it is, I, I don't want to say, I never say never. Right. But well, gotta, I think even those people, have moments and, and, you know, and I try to live in gratitude. I've learned so much by writing three series. I'm grateful that my first series wasn't the huge hit because you make such big mistakes in that first series. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just huge mistakes as far as characters or pacing or, or backstory or whatever. And so now when I go in, I'm much more secure. It's like, Oh no, no, (laughs) we're going to delay that one. And we're going to have an arc for all three stories. And what's my theme. And I mean, I just, I know so, much more. Um, but it's, um, it is quite the business. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. No, but neither is theater. And I think that that's, um, that's the gift, um, that I had is that I worked with so many people and, and like the crime writing community, the theater community is very generous Mm -hmm. and supportive. And, you know, when I told people I was going to, be published, you know, people get so excited for you and they think, oh, when's it going to be a movie? And I, you know, I would explain, it's kind of like I got a, a, you know, a role at the ART (laughs) Um, and and actors would mean, okay, so it's like great for a minute, but it doesn't mean that your career is made, you know, again, it's it's ups and downs and sideways and reinvention and everything else. Um, And I've learned, I learned so much from the artists in theater about building characters, about um, stories, about dramatic structure, about scene design and costume design and choices um, that has informed my writing as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You already had like a huge background going in. So yeah, that was super helpful. Yeah. So I like to always say, you know, it, after 10 years, I got published overnight, right? (laughs) Or I got my contract overnight after 10 years of work. 
So I'm curious about, and you know, those 10 years were me, you know, again, like you figuring out, oh, I want to write mysteries. Oh, how do I do that? Let's find conferences. Let's meet people. Right. right? And all of the things and crime bake and sisters in crime and, you know, eventually meeting the wickeds and all of the things. Right. So I'm curious from that moment at Grub Street, when someone said, Hey, why don't you write mysteries to, you know, when you had that connection that said, Hey, here's my agent. And I think this is a good opportunity. How long did that take? And what was like, how did you get involved in the community before then? Um, I think that that took, um, about getting published took about 15 years. Um, so that first book I did eventually publish with Midnight Inc., the late great Midnight Inc., which I still miss. Um, but I took a class at Harvard. I worked for Harvard for a long time. And there was a mystery writer named Abigail Paget who taught a mystery writing course one in the extension school one, one semester. And this was like 1999, maybe. Um, so at this point, a long time ago. Um, and one of the things she said, she used to choose a trip. She was great. She, you know, learned a lot. Again, different perspectives and stuff. But she was also very focused on, um, she would critique our work. But she's also very focused on, if you want to get published, you got to figure this stuff out. And one of the main things she said was, join Sisters in Crime. Join a community. Um, and she said Sisters in Crime specifically because we were all pre-published. And so MWA wasn't as easy to join. Mystery Writers of America wasn't easy, as easy to join, um, at the same level. Cause Sisters in Crime, you know, you become a member no matter where you are in your writing journey. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, you know, Abby was a, uh, was a, in, and likely is still a, a feminist. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think she also, um, really liked the, um, the, the mission, and she was friends or knew uh, Kate Flora, who was had founded the New England chapter. She's one of the original Sisters in Crime, um, you know, people who helped get it off the ground. She was a president of Sisters in Crime National, and she said at one point, "I talked to Kate Flora. There's this conference they're going to be starting," and so, and I might have dates wrong, but I, I don't know. Forgive me if I do. <laughs> um, but she, so she talked about crime bake. Yep. So I missed the first crime bake, but I went to the second crime bake. Okay, me I, too. Me too. Yeah, I didn't know about it the first year. And then I started looking and I found it the second year. And that was the only one I missed up until like 2019, I think. I know, I know. So we had the same, and I do wish I'd been at that first one. Yeah. But the second one was great. It was one day. Do you remember? It was cold. It was like yes. uh, in a community <laughs> college and they didn't turn the heat on. Yep. They ran out of toilet paper. No, so, I don't remember that. <laughs> so I had been a fan of Kate Flores. My mother, my mother was a huge mystery reader. Like she, she's the one who got me going. And my grandmother bought me Nancy Drew and stuff like that. Um, but Kate Flora was standing in the ladies room handing out <clears throat> sheets of toilet paper or, you know, like oh as God. you went in because did run out. So I called my mother that night. I'm like, you're not going to believe who handed me toilet paper. <laughs> I'm sure Kate would love to be remembered for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, she became formative, right? Yeah. She became, you know, you go to the first crime bake and you, you're overwhelmed and I was nervous and I went with a friend of mine 
um, which was good, always helpful. Um, but you know, you're hanging around and you're meeting people, but I'm, I, I am an introvert by nature. Um, I live an extroverted life and I've become much more comfortable, uh, in the last few years about peace speaking public and doing all those things. But, but that wasn't my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially then, which you know, is so hard I, to believe because you're a natural <laughs> leader and speaker. I mean, well, I also felt like I was an imposter. It's like, what have I done? I mean, I'm like, I can't finish this book. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Why am I here? But as always, you become invigorated. Um, I joined Sisters in Crime, which was life changing. Uh, My first Sisters in Crime meeting was at Hallie Efron's house. Mm. Um, Dana Cameron was the vice president. I'll never forget this. So we went to my friend uh, and I uh, who met, another one of my friends and I who met in that class, went to um, uh, Malice Domestic together. And uh, my friend was waiting in line to mail books back as, as we are often mm-hmm. do at these conferences. And um, Dana Cameron turned around to talk to her and said, oh, you need to join Sisters in Crime. So mm-hmm. Regina came over to me and said, we need to join Sisters in Crime. So I said, okay. Um, and uh, and Regina was a force of nature who unfortunately passed away um, a couple of years after that. I think about her often because she was so excited for me every every yeah. time I, I, I did something. Um, but she, uh, I, when I went to Hallie's house and Dana, this was back when Sisters in Crime New England was small enough that you could have meetings in people's houses. Um, Dana turned to me and I had her books. I'd read her books. And she said, um, and I told her I, I liked her books, you know, whatever. And she turned to me and said, what are you writing? And I'll never forget that, the kindness of, so what are you writing? I was, you know, just a newbie and I was a wreck and I'm <laughs> there, you know, and just to, just to validate, oh no, you're here for a reason. It's good mm-hmm. that you're here. Um, so finding that community um, and becoming involved, you know, and, and, and uh, people ask me to, to become more involved, you know, we, you know, we think you should join, you know, run for the board or you think you should do this. Oh, okay. I'll do it. Um, but, but just sort of stepping up when you were offered an opportunity, uh, made such has made all the difference in my life. All yeah. the difference. I, I, some of my dearest friends are from um, Sisters in Crime. Um, certainly, Wicked's um, from Sisters in Crime. Um, you know, conferences always reinvigorate me. Um, being able to talk to people and build, you know, a network of of people who are on the same journey that you are, or maybe people who are a couple of steps ahead and may, might be willing to mentor you or offer some opportunities. Um, it's just made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing about the mystery community, right? Cause I, you know, I, I went to, to grad school at Emerson and, you know, I was in the literary fiction world for a while over there and it just feels different, right? Not in a bad way. It just, it's, it feels different. Yeah. And the mystery people are just, like you said, so welcoming and so generous. I remember my first crime bake, I met Al Blanchard, who was yeah. a, you know, local legend and he just came over and welcomed me and the same, asked me what I wrote, told me other conferences I needed to go to. Like people were just lovely. I remember Michael Palmer who's yeah. been gone for about 10 years now, right? Mm. I remember sitting in the lobby at Crime Bake, at the Crime Bake Hotel in front of the fireplace. He spent a good hour talking to me about 
yeah. opportunities and publishing houses and what he could do to help. And I mean, it's just amazing. This was a, you know, multi bestselling author who didn't need yeah. to give me the time of day. He was lovely. He he did the same thing with me, sat down. I, was, I think I was sitting over in a corner or something. And, Do you mind if I sit here? And of course, you know, it's Michael Palmer, so yeah. other people. But he's intre- like interested in what you're doing and, and offering things and loved writing, loved the community, you know, um, was incredibly encouraging um, and also had a, an amazing career. Yeah, he, he left us too soon yeah. uh, as well, and as did Al Blanchard. I mean, you know, it's... Um, uh, it's, that's the, that's sort of the hard part is you're around for a long time that you sort of see people, you know, who aren't here anymore. Um, but you still hear them like our our mutual friend, Sheila Conley, um, was a wonderful and prolific writer who was just a couple of steps ahead of us, but close enough that we could follow in her tracks mm. or figure out what she was doing. And she was so brutally honest all the time about, you know, challenges or this happened or, and just grateful and loving. And so, you know, I wrote these romances years ago, didn't know what to do with them. They were in a draw. My agent wanted another series. So I I took one out of the draw and I said, oh, (laughs) let me make this a mystery. (laughs) And, you know, just was a bon vivant and a wonderful woman. Um, And so, you know, how blessed are we to have known some pretty amazing people? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, I just, I, I've always, I've always found that the writers in the mystery world are just, they, there's none of that. I mean, I'm sure there's some somewhere, but you don't see a lot of the competition, right? Like I remember, um, I said this to someone recently, I remember being at, I think it was BoucherCon way back, like before I was even published and listening to a conversation between like Harlan Coben and, um, Michael Connolly. And one of them said, you know, the best part about our community is that everyone kind of realizes no one has to fail for anyone else to succeed. And I think that holds true, right? I think people for the majority in the mystery community act that way and Mm -hmm. help each other. And, you know, it's, it's lovely. Well, the scarcity mindset in artistic endeavors is not helpful. Yeah. Because there are, there is a limit sometimes, you know, um, again, I think about my actor friends, there are a limited number of roles, yeah. but you can also make your own work or figure something out. So, you know, there are li- limited, possibly a limited number of, of opportunities in publishing. Although when you get down to it, you're, you know, it seems to be infinite, infinite. Um, I think one of the focuses in, in for me these days is thinking about the equity of those mm. um, opportunities because not all writers do have access yeah. um, in the same way. Um, marginalized writers, writers of color, LBGTQ writers, um, other folks don't have the same opportunities that other people do. Women still don't have the same opportunities that other folks do, although that has gotten better. Um, if you think about um, uh, gender in a, a binary term, which is, is, you know, these days not, not super helpful because it, you know, uh, it doesn't encompass everybody. Um, so I do, I'm always aware of that, but I'm also right now, we seem to be going through a golden age where there are a lot of different, um, perspectives and books and, um, you know, 
places and types of mashups and and things happening. So I'm hoping this is a trend and not just a fashion Mm -hmm. um, to make people feel better. But I think for all of us to be aware that, you know, when you you need to be a reader, if you're a writer, um, and read diversely, like, you know, don't just read in your lane, like read other genres, read writers with different life experiences than you do, um, and support them, you know, sing it out on social media or follow them or, or whatever, because, um, as you said, we don't, nobody needs to fail in order for other people to succeed. And, but for some people, failure is, is a little bit more built into the system as far as, oh, we're not going to take that risk again. So we need to make sure we support people. Yeah. And Sisters in Crime is doing a lot to make sure that the community is equitable and, and people are, you know, being at least aware of the challenges and trying to call attention to them. Do you, can you talk about any of the work that Sisters in Crime is doing? Yeah, I mean, we've always, as I said, the reason we were founded was to support women crime writers. And over the, the past few years, we've expanded that to include other marginalized writers. But men have always been welcome at Sisters in Crime. It's just, you know, the mission is what it is. We're an advocacy organization. So as long as you support the mission, you're welcome. Um, but in the last few years, uh, through through various initiatives, we've um, taken on some more work in the DEIJB, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and belonging area. Um, the goal is that everyone feels like they belong. So there's a fabulous um, short snippet of uh, uh, talk that Brene Brown got and gave that talked about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Mm. So for a long time, people had to fit in or felt like they had needed to fit in. And fitting in means that you use the same coded language or, you know, it can mean you dress the same way or you look, you know, you try to look the same or you, whatever. And belonging means that you're in a safe space and you're welcome no matter, no matter what. And so that goal of belonging is, is, I think achievable, but these days, especially harder than ever, because, um, you know, people are, are different and differences matter, but they don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a big conversation. Uh, and I think one of the things that I like about Sisters in Crime and the work that they do, first of all, it's got an amazing board of directors. Uh, It's got over 50 chapters with leadership in all of those chapters. Uh, Everyone is, is working on doing their best and, and putting, putting things in place so that people can learn. We have this um, equity project 101 course, which is just uh, um, free for members. It's $17. If you're not a member, um, which is a basic understanding of, of terminology and of, of what things mean so that everyone has a, that same common understanding so we can build on that. Um, but when sisters in crime, has a misstep or has an issue, we figure it out and we talk about it. You can't pretend that these things don't exist and it's never, it's never done. I mean, we're never like the work is never going to be finished. So, um, that's exhausting in some ways, but I also think the more people who buy into the work, the better off we are. So it's, um, it's part of our mission. It's a part of our core values. Um, the core values of Sisters in Crime are advocacy, equity, inclusion, and community. And as you know, and I'm sure you've talked about a 
on this podcast, you know, core values, you and I talk about this just individually, core values, when I teach arts administration, uh, you know, for an organization, core values are, you know, not a lot because they're so important. Three or four words, terms that you would rather go out of business than go against, you know, so they support your mission, but they guide you as to how you're going to accomplish that mission. Um, and people should have personal core values and revisit them every once in a while because they can change. Um, but for an organization, everything we do being weighed against our mission and against our core values um, doesn't make the path easy, but it makes it the right one and it makes it important. You know, we are tremendously supporting, supportive of writers in different ways, but we're also not just a writing organization We're, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're about community and about um, making a place where all writers belong. Yeah. And it's a feeling you get too, right? you like, you know, you're on the right path because, well, you and I were just talking about this the other night about um, fitting in and, and how back in our day, right. We had to, back in our day, I sound like we're old, but we had to, you know, we felt like we had to wear the same clothes as everyone else just yeah. to, just to fit in. Right. But, and I always struggle with that. Like everywhere I went, I just, I was always like, Oh, am I going to fit in here? Am I going to fit in here? And then honestly, the first time I walked into a crime bake, I was like, Oh, these are my people. Yeah, exactly. They're, oh, these are my people. Yeah. yeah. And not everyone has that experience all the time in, in meetings or, or whatever. So how can we make it sure, make sure? And a lot of conference uh, organizers now are really, really taking that seriously, creating codes of conduct and sort of saying, we want to make sure everyone feels welcome, included and safe. Um, so, uh, but yes, the crime writing community is, definitely a place where uh, I feel like I belong. I always have. And I had no idea back in, you know, those early days that I was going to find like five of my absolute best friends, you know, in the wickets. <laughs> and so that's a, that's a story how that all came together. Should we talk about that? I think it's worth talking about because I think that the wickets um, are a great example of um, supporting the community um, but also of supporting each other yeah. and, and, and we all like each other and that shows in the work that we do. Yeah. Well, yeah. truly, I think if we were just a blog, like, you know, back in, back when the traditional and the cozy world was kind of blowing up when we kind of, when we got started, yeah. there were a lot of group blogs that came out and a lot of them aren't around anymore. That's and right. I think if we were just a blog, we'd be gone too, but yeah. we're much more than that. So, Yeah. So the way it came about <clears throat> is um, Sherry Harris, who is um, a nexus of so many things mm -hmm. and uh, an <laughs> unbelievably magnetic personality, uh, had a book contract and she was going to have a book coming out in a year or so, right? Maybe a year and a half. <clears throat> and um, her agent and publisher suggested she start a blog because you need an online presence. And Sherry didn't want to do a blog on her own. She's just like, oh, please don't make me do this. So she reached out to, uh, there was a whole group of people who got contracts at same time. So this is another, this, this is a good Sheila Conley story. There was an agent who wanted to um, build up his cozy author um, client list. So he reached out to Sheila Conley, who was then president of the New England chapter and said, do you have names? 
of people. And she said, I'm not going to pick and choose. So mm-hmm. what she did is she sent out an email to the entire um, New England chapter. So he got flooded and to his credit took calls. Like he talked to everybody and, and you know, um, and was generous. He, he and I had a call, but it, nothing hit, uh, you know, we, very amiable, but nothing hit. But the other five of you got contracts and people are a little bit ahead of Sherry, but not much. So she reached out to the other five people and she reached out to me because she and I had met years ago at Malice Domestic and become friends. And when she was moving to New England, I said, you have to join the New England chapter of Sister in Crime. You have to come to Crime Bank. So I think she wanted to do me a solid. Um, and, you know, there was such generous belief that I would indeed be amongst the published at some point, but it was a leap of faith at that point. Um, so we didn't really know each other. Four of you had got, had a retreat together, I think. Yeah, we had right? just met, right? I think it was, I think, um, like I knew you guys, I knew most of you guys just from like going to Crime Bake, but we weren't, you know, friends yet. Um, and then I think, I think it was after we decided to start the blog that we went on retreat, one retreat. <laughs> Yeah, but you had met Sherry at Seascape. Yes, I met Sherry and Edith, and uh, actually Barb, too, at Seascape. Yeah. 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 Um, which was an, I wish, I wish we had a mid-career Seascape, right? Yeah, so, um, totally. Uh, you know, a, a writing retreat led by three great writers and, and just intensive, but, but as important as the retreat itself and the learning was the fact that you built these relationships with these these you know, yep. three other people. Yep. Um, so we all knew each other from different places and decided to blog. And um, four of you went on retreat. And then the next year, all six of us were there. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know Jesse. So Jesse Crockett, Jessica Estavo, um, Jessica Ellicott is her um, current writing name. Um, I didn't know her well at all. I knew Barb uh, Ross, Barbara Ross. Uh, I knew Edith, but not not as well. Uh, didn't know Sherry, and didn't know you well um, mm-hmm. at those beginning times. But we just we made group decisions on what we were doing with the blog, how we were going to handle it, and then started to talk to each other you know, and talk to each other on email all the time. But then had writing retreats together, would do Zoom calls, just. Um, you know, I'll never forget when I sent my first manuscript in for Just Killing Time, I got back a seven-page, single-spaced editorial letter. Wow. And the first two paragraphs <laughs> were, um, you're a good writer, and the other six and a half pages were notes. Hmm. And I freaked out. And Jesse is, um, she's... She's very attuned to people and stuff, and she knew I was going to get the letter. She she emailed or something, said, how'd it go? I said, not well, and I was I was freaking out. And she said, send me the letter, send me the manuscript, and we'll talk in a couple of days. So she's always put together. She always looks great. You know, that Sunday, she's, she sends me a Zoom link. We get on Zoom. She's wearing a hoodie. She's wearing, Her red lipstick, no I'm sure. Yes. No, no, no makeup on. <laughs> no. Because she'd been reading my book and no. making notes. And so she said, 
first of all, you are a good writer. And, and I said, oh, that's kind of you. She said, I'm not being kind. I, it's important that you're a good writer because we want to keep up the brand. All of us are good writers. You're a good writer. Second of all, she's right about <laughs> some of these notes, but it's not going to be as hard to fix as you think. And she went through it and just it was like, you know, help me take uh, and narrow down a shift this, you know, add this here, do this, do that, change that, maybe start here. And it was so, so kind of her, but it was also the kind of support that we all give each other now. You know, it's like the, of course I'll read this or what do you need me to do? And, and again, that makes all the difference. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Jesse has been, you know, has been, she helped me. Oh my God, that corner that I had backed myself into with one of my positively mysteries <laughs> where I just didn't know where I had ended up, how I had gotten there, how to get out. And I had three weeks until my deadline and Jesse, the same thing. She's like, let's get on FaceTime. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Well, and she does that for folks. So yeah. if, if you, um, you know, if people need a plotting session, yeah, she's, you know, you, she's worth the investment. Totally. Yeah. She's um, been because, on, she's been on the podcast talking about her method and, and yeah. all of that. So yeah, totally. Yeah, she's recommend. really great. And she and I, it's interesting because we all have different writing styles and, and are pretty entrenched. I mean, I try to, um, but like Edith is a dedicated pantser. I mean, she's, and she's, you know, working on her 38th novel. So obviously it works for her. (laughs) Um, but I'm a plotter and Jesse's a plotter and we're, we're serious plotters. And every time I try not to be, you know, it's a disaster and, and I'll, you know, say something to her. She's like, well, of course it's, you know, of course you're yeah. a plotter. You gotta do that. Um, but I'm doing NaNoWriMo as we're, um, talking here and I've got a loose plot. So I'm writing and then I'm trying to make sure I'm, you know, making, I'm plotting a, a little bit ahead. So I, I have, you know, have a sense here. Um, but it's, but that's fun too. None of us write the same kind of books. We've all, you know, we're all working on different types of books. Now, uh, we all write differently. We have different writing styles. Um, and we're all dedicated to each other's success. Yeah. It's so interesting. I remember too, when my cat cafe mysteries series started, uh, the, it, at the beginning, it got off to a little bit of a rocky start because my editor at the time wasn't quite sure the direction she wanted to go and it, it kept changing. And, and I remember it, you know, it, she finally came back with some thoughts on how to adjust the book. And it looked very daunting because I already had a draft done. I'd been working on this book for a while and I didn't know what the heck to do with it at that point. And I remember, um, it was the year when both Barb and I weren't able to go to BoucherCon. You guys were all gone. Barb and I were home. And so I remember just emailing her saying, I don't know what to do with this book. Like I'm just at a loss and same thing. She's like, send it to me. And she read like the first three chapters and she's like, okay, here's what you got to do. It was solved in like 15 minutes. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's lovely how we are there for each other. Well, and I think also we, this is the value of, of helpful criticism. Yeah. We wouldn't write books like we write the other one, right? So right. she, she wasn't going to rewrite your book. Jesse wasn't going to rewrite my book, but they were going to help us fix it. Like yeah. they respected what we were doing, but they're like, okay, here's, here's the hole you fell in. Yeah. <laughs> Let me help you get out of the hole so you can keep going with your book, but I can see the hole. 
And, and so it's, we, you need that and, but, but you, not everyone can give you that. And, and it is that trusted group of, of folks. I mean, Sherry Harris, um, uh, edits a lot of books for different folks. Um, a friend of mine who is not a writer, but he's a voracious reader, uh, was my first reader, has always been my first reader, will always be my first reader. And now he's reading for you and yeah. he's reading for Sherry. <laughs> um, and he's really great because he, he will do small stuff, but it's also the this doesn't make sense if this is happening. Like he'll, he'll do plot holes and also just um with me because we're good friends he'll say mm, this doesn't work <laughs> like no suggestions on how to fix it but you go yeah or or i didn't get this character change this this arc you got to do something to let us know how he ended up like that so um you know but we this is this is what you need to build you need to build your community to help you be a better writer and yeah. and that changes over time as well Totally. Yeah. Jason's also been on the podcast. I'll put the link, the links to all these ones that I'm mentioning okay. in the show notes, but yeah, he's, he was on the podcast too. Cause oh, he has I been my reader know. for a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Sherry's <laughs> edited a ton of my books and it's always helpful and yeah, it's just, it's so nice to have that support. Yeah. Yes. But also yeah. we need the right mindset. And that was another oh. thing I wanted to talk to you about because yeah. I, we're always, you know, kind of trying to boost each other up when things get tough. And, you know, so to go back to that question about now I'm published and all is going to be fantastic and then it's not, how do we keep going when something might happen that doesn't fit into where we thought we were going to be? Well, this is another thing that you and I have in common. Are we both been coaches? We've, um, you know, and help people with that. And in helping other people, we help ourselves. Um, but mindset is everything. Yeah. And not digging in to what used to work for you and may not work anymore is, I think, critically important. So when I talked about core values, you can have core, personal core values, but they do evolve over time. So if you keep working with the same structure that you always did or you keep working with the same mindset that you always did at some point it may not work and so you need to develop a toolbox with more um, mindset is is getting the critic off your shoulder but also listening to the other voice that that may sound like a critic but is also uh, trying to help you you know um say this is this method of working doesn't work for you anymore julie or you've got to go out and take a walk yeah. <laughs> you've got to get out of your own way or find the joy again i don't know about you liz but i found during the pandemic um and i think again because i've worked in theater for so long and it's such a painful time still a t painful time for so many performing artists and theater companies um that i just it, I wasn't finding the joy. Yeah. Right. Yep. And um, now I, I don't currently have a book contract. So I'm working on things for myself and I'm trying to think what, what will sell, but also what will push me, what will be different and what do I want and how can I reframe my thinking to make that happen? So don't get stuck in the, okay, so now I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because that's what's always worked. It's like, if I want to break out of 
Um, I love writing cozies. I love cozies. But suppose I want to write a suspense. Yeah. I've got to shift my mindset in order to make that happen. And and once you built a groove in publishing, nobody wants you to leave that groove. Yeah. So you've got to you got to get yourself out of it. Right? Yeah. Um, your agent, your you know, hopefully your publisher, other people will help you once you do it. But nobody does any of this for you. You have to do it all yourself. Nobody cares about your career as much as you do. Yep. Nobody. A hundred thousand percent. (laughs) Right? So if your mindset isn't supporting you in what you want to try and do, you just got to, you've got to spend the time to figure out what's going on. Why am I not there? What am, what's getting in my way? And do what you can to fix it. And it may not be huge fixes. It may be every day, just an affirmation or just, I can't like, okay, why did I just say I can't write the scene? <laughs> or I can't write this book or <clears throat> I can't do this. What, what's going on here? And and also recognize that this is part of the human condition. Um, I also am trying to, and again, this is a Jesse um, quote, <clears throat> follow the fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, find the joy in this. It's, writing is really hard work. Hard physically, hard mentally, hard on your imagination. As you said earlier, you and I both also work more hours than we should. <laughs> um, and so finding time, finding energy, um, and, you know, it, it, if your hands have arthritis or your back hurts or something, it, it's a physically taxing thing, but it, it's got to, it's got to bring you joy. And joy doesn't always mean happy, um, or fun, but joy should be that, that feeling of well being. And so how do you, how do you shift your perceptions. Um, also, uh, I think, and again, I learned this from my, my theater friends, your sense of accomplishment has to come from your writing. You cannot take it from external validation. You have to care about your book sales and your book contracts and all those things. But if you wait for those things to validate you as a writer, you're, you're just doomed. Yeah. <laughs> you're doomed. Um, because sometimes it will come, but it, it won't come in a steady stream. The validation has to come from you. Um, and you can't actually worry about that stuff for the writing. The writing journey and the publishing journey are two different things. And so you have to honor that. Yeah, totally. And that's super important because, you know, to your earlier point, like, if you like, for example, you're, you said you're without a contract right now and it would be easier, I'm sure to like get into that frantic mindset of, all right, now I got to go back and write a proposal, just like the one that I wrote when I got this series and stay in the same exact place. And it's really important to take that pause and say, really, what do I want to do right now? And I've been doing the same thing, you know, um, just rethinking what do I actually want to do and what's going to make me happy, which has never been the way that I've thought. It's what am I going to do to succeed? And I, you know, oftentimes we have this idea of success. We don't even know how we're defining it. It's just some, some version of success that we haven't yet figured out what it looks like, but we're after it and we're going to get it. (laughs) And then we're spinning around and it's not getting us anywhere. Well, and I think that's the other reason that, Understanding the business can help you to find success because 
Um, if you are going to say success is a million dollar book advance or success is a movie or success is X, Y, or Z, understand how impossible that is. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying limit your dreams at all. Have your dreams, but also don't not celebrate every single step you take on your journey towards that dream because you, and I, the best advice I got when I was first published was from Hank Philippi Ryan, who said your debut year, celebrate every single moment of it. I celebrate the launch day, celebrate the first, you know, debut author panel, celebrate this, celebrate that mindfully celebrate all of it. And, and you need to do that over and over. And after you've been doing this for a while, you forget. I yeah. just finished a draft. I actually should be dancing. Yeah. And instead I'm be. like, oh, <laughs> I finished the draft. And now I know, because you know, you've done enough. You know, you've got three rounds of edits and you get this and you get that. <clears throat> but the point is you should be celebrating you because that's what you can control. And we all have dreams. You and I talk about dreams all the time. Um, but we can't tie our mindset or our success or our satisfaction with our work toward that, those dreams. Yeah, for sure. And there have been times too, where, you know, I've been feeling down about one thing or another, you know, you don't even remember what it is, but you just kind of remember like, oh, I was in a crappy place. And then you get an email from a reader who says, Hey, my husband was in the hospital and I was reading him your book and it made a horrible time a little bit easier. And that's just, to me, that's even better. Right. Or you have, you know, at the beginning, everyone who tells you how much they love your book are people you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, my father would go in and to Barnes and Noble and buy all my books so that they'd have to order new ones. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And he also would go in and face out my book. I mean, you know, (laughs) all right. Um, But um, I, you know, yeah, you need to, it's, this is a tough, this is a tough journey and um, you've got to want to be on it. It's got to come from within. And there are a lot of people who say they want to write a book and they do it and then they're done. They've, they've satisfied the itch. Yeah. The problem for you and I <laughs> is that the itch isn't satisfied. Yeah. We want to keep writing. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also, it is celebrating other people. It's reading deeply and reading a book for enjoyment and then rereading it as a writer to figure out how people did that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's an old text or a new text, uh, reading outside the genre, um, you know, reading books that are, are popular and, and never, ever, ever say, to yourself or to anyone else, my book is better, or that wasn't a good book. Because for some people, you never, you never, you just don't do that. Right. It's not generous. I mean, right. there are books that you may not think are good, but somebody may enjoy. Yeah. You know, I yep. mean, it's all subjective. Exactly. So be, be generous in that as well. Exactly. And even flipping that, right? I, someone, I can't remember the exact quote, but I remember hearing someone say, it was a conversation about perfectionism and which is something you and I also talk a lot about because I think we're both recovering perfectionists, but 
someone actually flipped the script on that and said, you know, for you to deny the world something because you don't think it's good enough, they might think it's the best thing they ever read or heard or saw or, you know, whatever medium, but it's, it's selfish to hold back because you don't think it reaches some standard when you don't even know what the standard is. Right. Right. And you may be going for something, but your book may be delivering something else. And that doesn't, you know, you don't know the impact that your work's going to have. Yeah. Right. I remember yeah. going to see a one person show. Well, actually it was a two person show with, it was a new work and the playwright was in it for whatever reason that show made me weep. Like there's just something about it that made me weep. And I saw the artistic director afterwards and I just, I couldn't even talk. I was crying. And I never cried like that, you know, in public and theater. And he just gave me a hug and said, let's talk about what, what the, why this is doing this, <laughs> you know? Mm. Do you, and I didn't even know, yeah. but something about her work spoke so deeply to my, my soul. I can only hope to, have somebody have that kind of a moment where, oh, she gets me yeah. or, oh, or have somebody laugh really hard, you know, at, at a part. Um, but we can't control that all the time. Yeah. All you could do is your best work, but also, you know, be grateful and humble as you're, as you're doing this, you know, again, don't, uh, pulling down other people and their work is not, is not, good and mm -hmm. you see people in certain circles who will be ah oh, it's trash or why was this even you know like just and nobody that kind of stuff also follows you you yeah. know that's bad karma that doesn't and you never know who knows people i mean you just just be gracious yep for sure all right well one more question because this is also something that you and i both struggle with but you know again going back to the doing all the the different things and prioritizing your writing. How does someone make that happen? Because I work with a lot of um, newer writers in my membership who are struggling with day jobs and children and, you know, taking care of parents, maybe, you know, all, all of all kinds of things that they feel is cutting into their time to write. And so it's easy for someone new to it to say, oh, I'm not really doing anything with this anyway, so I should just focus on the things I need to focus on. So how have you kind of managed that? So a couple of years ago, I was, you know, uh, coaching and, and had a course and I did a, um, uh, webinar and I talked to people a lot about time management for artists and the time, the ways you use your time. I'd be happy to do that for your members. Liz, oh, if you'd like. that would be amazing. <laughs> but here's the thing. We all have 168 hours a week. And in that 168 hours, you have to fill your life. And that includes you need to sleep and you do need to sleep. So, uh, you know, and as we get older, we realize how important that is. You need to um, possibly commute to work or work. Um, you need to go grocery shopping. You need to clean. You need to take care of your pets. You need to take care of your family. Whatever is in your 168 hours, that's in your 168 hours. To live a life that includes writing, writing needs to be part of that 168 hours. 
Now, some folks have trouble, you know, I, I, I'm loath to say sit down every day or do this or do that. Um, for Sisters in Crime, last, uh, earlier this week, I did a webinar on making nano work when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So there's some people who have like chronic migraines or they have arthritis or they have other issues that get in the way. So those recovery time needs to be part of their 168 hours. So that may cut into the writing time. But, the, but your artistic life... It's about writing, but it's also about feeding your artistic soul. So go on artist dates, you know, Julie Cameron talks about that, um, and go outside your writing. So go to a museum or go see a play or go to an arboretum or do something that feeds your creativity, that inspires you, that builds your muse, but it's not, it's not research. It's not doing what you're going to do, um, be doing. Um, think about, Think about taking walks, you know, think about um, uh, plotting something different. Think about ways you can be part of the community in those 160 hours. So maybe it's going to be going to somebody's book launch or, you know, doing a bunch of social media pictures of you holding up people's books and, and scheduling them. Um, but you need to be mindful of those 168 hours. So how many of those 168 hours are you... I'm not going to say wasting because you and I both do work hard. And it's, it, there might be times when, you know, playing a game on your phone is, is giving your brain space. You need to give your brain space. You need to stop working. So knitting or, or doing something to, to meditate, you know, giving your, creating a meditative practice. But writing, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to carve up four hours a day or something. It could be a 25-minute sprint, right? 25 yep. minutes. So in my heart, but I'm going to schedule it and I'm going to put it in my calendar and I'm going to honor that commitment to myself. Yep. Um, or reschedule it in the day. Right now, as we're recording this, it's November. It's NaNoWriMo month. And that's a gift to all of us to get out of our own way because you just trying like, to get something written every day and record it and just say, okay, this is what we're doing. And again, for other folks, it may be plotting. You don't have to do the 50,000 words in the month, but you know, I'm going to try because I'd like to get this draft done. So I'm shifting other things in my life yeah. in order to make that time work. So I do think... You know, of the there two things that that are uh, impact abilities to do things, and that's time and and oftentimes that's money. Time is the most precious thing we have. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm never going to tell somebody not to play that video game on their phone because I don't know where they are or what space they need or how they need to take care of themselves. But I am going to say, and because I need to say it to me, you know, just I forget how much I enjoy it. So I'm just taking that out and I'm going to write the scene and I'm going to write the scene and I'm going to write the scene. Then I can go and bake cookies or, you know, do this or do that or futz around. Um, but I'm prioritizing that. So I do. You need to make the time. You can't find the time. You need to make the time and actively decide what in your life shifts um, and, and, you know, make sure other people know that this is a priority. 
so that they can't co-opt your time or, or, or do something else. This is, you know, when the door is closed, mom's writing. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only going to be for a half hour, but you need to respect that half hour yeah. or when, you know. So I think that uh, it's really hard to do because we're all overly busy. I think we all need to work on being less busy. You and I, I know, need to work on working less. Yes. <laughs> and that includes our writing. But I also am, am you know, just, I, I make a grid and color things in of how you're spending your 168 hours, your 12 mm-hmm. hours, 24 hours a day. And just where are there gaps? How can you bunch things together? Um, you know, atomic habits, right? How can you bunch things together so that you're doing six things at once instead of, you know, six times for 15 minutes a day. And, and how does that help you be more um, judicious with how you're spending your time? Yeah, no, I love that. And actually the habit stacking thing was one of the things that actually stuck with me and has worked with me. So what I think the days that I feel most productive are the days where I, so I have this whole morning routine. I get up, Mm -hmm. I get my coffee, I meditate, I journal, and then I stacked my writing time Mm -hmm. onto that. So oh. just doing that, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the routine. This all has to get done by 8 a.m. So I can then take the dogs for a walk because that's the other part of the routine that, you know, so getting yeah. all of that stuff done within the first few hours of the day, that's when I feel the most productive. And if I, if I veer off that routine, then my day kind of feels off. Well, and I spent so many years working in theater and working during the day that I write at night and I keep trying not to. Um, you know, cause it would be better during the day or I'm not a morning person. Hmm. Um, but no, I, you know, and I might try at lunchtime to write for 25 minutes, but I, I find that nighttime works for me. So find that's the thing. It's, it's your, your process, but you're exactly right. S- figure out how to stack those things. Yeah. Um, you know, whether, and it can be, I'm gonna, start dinner. I'm going to walk the dog and then I'm going to write. And this is, and I've got an hour and a half for these three things to happen. Um, and, and make that happen, make that work. And while you're walking the dog, bring your notes app and do a a text, um, a speech to text thing in your notes if you need to, so that, you know, you could do it. The subconscious is also an amazing tool. So as I've been working on my NaNoWriMo project, I'm actually back in a world and I'm thinking about it. And, and the challenge is I'm getting ideas on how I should have set the story up differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm just making myself notes because in nano, you just keep going. Um, but it's an, that's also an amazing thing. You're not wasting time by taking a nap if you're tired or by um, taking a walk or exercising or doing yoga or knitting. Um, you're, you're, you're letting your brain, your imagination come to you. And just when it does, be ready to act on it because yeah. the muse won't come back if you don't do something with what they deliver. Yeah. Yeah. You're freeing up creative space. I like, I always say to people too, it, you don't have to be typing or, or writing in your notebook to be actually writing. A lot right. of times the writing happens while you're doing other things and you're freeing up that space. Absolutely. I mean, there's magic. We can talk about all of the tools and the time management and the this and the that and you know I like Scrivener and how you do this um, and all that's valid and those are great conversations but when it comes right down to it a lot of this is magic yeah 
And you got to be open to the magic. Which is the best part of it, right? It is. That, I mean, right? I mean, when those characters show up or all of a sudden your imagination says, you know, <laughs> if yep. the body died 15 years ago instead of two weeks ago <laughs> under the concrete, that actually, and you're like, oh, yeah. that's actually really interesting. <laughs> you know, thank you, imagination. So let me see what I'll do with that. The inner workings yeah. of a mystery writer's mind. <laughs> well, I think that's why the community is so nice is we have, we just think about this stuff and. And have really know. interesting dinner conversations. <laughs> yeah. And we're incredibly pleasant and yet could kill people with household items, yep. you know, nine times. I mean, <laughs> we work it all out on the page, but it's so interesting spending time with crime writers because you do, you talk about things that are just so awful and sometimes you forget that you're not with crime writers and you just get yes. this aghast look <laughs> on your face um <laughs> it's like oh let me explain yep. just a minute yeah it's like the mug that barb got us all that says um pay no attention to my browsing history i'm a writer not a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> i love it i know well i could talk to you all day but julie thank you so much for being here and i just want to say i'm so grateful for you to have you in my life and in my community and i love you thank you Oh, Liz, thank you. I love you back. And, you know, our, our friendship is one of the most important things in the world to me. So I, and congratulations on the podcast and on your work and what everything you're doing, because it's a very exciting and very needed. Thank you. And you too. Good luck with Nano. I can't wait to read your new project. Yeah. Hopefully it's not a mess. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So that's it, guys. I hope you liked our conversation. I hope you took something away from it. I hope you will go out and buy Julie's books right now if you haven't already. If you're an aspiring mystery writer and, or a current mystery writer and you just have not been part of Sisters in Crime yet, join us today. You'll love it. It will change your life. Um, I promise. It totally changed mine. And, you know, with Julie at the helm, it can only do even better things from here. So... Go check her out, and I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram, let me know, and, or head over to kateconti.com and send me a message through my website if you want. And please follow the podcast, rate, review, subscribe if you enjoyed it. It would really mean the world to me. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Bye.